Welcome. If you're a woman who has a sense that there's more out there for you, you're in the right place. I'm Whitney Baker, host of the Electric Ideas podcast. Somewhere along the line of working kids, life carried on, but I lost track of my truth. I'm on a reflective journey, and that's what this podcast is all about. Each week, I interview a woman who is lighting her own path and offering others hope. Before our conversation ends, we'll share a reflective question for you to explore. Sometimes all we need is a jolt, a fresh idea, an aha moment that connects us to a sense of possibility. This, my friends, is what I call an electric idea. Welcome back to Electric Ideas. Before we get into the show, I'm so excited to remind everyone that my fall mastermind called Electric Opening is now available for sign up. And what it is, Electric Opening is a six-week program and it's targeted at moms who are ready to start living on purpose instead of by default. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, maybe you shut the door on an outdated part of your identity, but you feel stuck in the in-between and you want a roadmap for stepping into the next best version of yourself. Maybe you just are craving more in life in general, but you can't quite pinpoint what. Perhaps you've spent tons and tons of time and energy responding to the needs of others and you're ready. You're ready for yourself. You're ready to carve out time for your own personal development and needs. This was me many years ago, and I've come to learn that part of my purpose on this planet is to learn and share what I've learned so other women don't have to suffer in the same way that I did. So if it's your time, if you're ready to show up for yourself and step into this feeling of a season of fresh possibility, check out the details on my website at myelectricideas.com or feel free to DM me with any questions on Instagram. You can find me at at WhitneyWoman. Okay, with that, let's get on to the show. Today's guest is Josie Wheatman. Josie is the host of the Make Life Fun podcast, and who doesn't want a little bit more of that? She's also a personal coach and founder of Backroads Coaching. A huge part of her mission is helping women dream bigger, take up space, claim their gifts, and say a heck yes to living their best lives. So let's jump in. Let's have some fun. Josie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Whitney, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I fun and play are just topics that I get really lit up about because I feel like so many adults forget how to have fun and play. So I just can't wait to dive in. But before we start, I know that you're living with so much intention now. But before we skip to the fun part, if you will, you've said quite beautifully that your pain has informed your purpose. And that really, really struck me. So let's start there. If you want to go back as early as your childhood immigration story, I think that would really help listeners ground into what you've gone through. Yes. And it's been a journey. I call it a roller coaster ride. The journey to the self-love, to shining brightly and being the person I am today did not start that way. But with all of us, we have to go through that journey in order to get to this place that we're at. And so for me, I was born in Haiti and we immigrated to the United States in 93. I would have been six years old then. We came to a little town in Idaho. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, little town in Idaho. I, my family was one of the only black families in that town. So that instantly was a new shift. It was completely different. We didn't know the language. We didn't know the culture. I was put into first grade without knowing a word of English, getting taken out of class. I remember every day to go do um, some sort of reading, some sort of learning English. I just remember feeling, even at a small age, just like I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't, I was failing. I just 
wasn't doing anything right, basically, is what it felt like as a child. And what I started to realize, though, if I kept my smile on, if I kept being this happy Josie, that it attracted to me a lot. It attracted to me friends. It attracted to me that feeling of belonging. It attracted to me that feeling of fitting in. So even though I didn't speak the language, my smile was like my ticket is what I learned early on. And so I started to use that to my benefit. And so when I even started speaking English, it was just that natural tendency to please. What led me to become this version of myself though, because that people pleasing, it served me. It really did. It served me for so long. And before all that, my family, my family too, they came to the United States not knowing anything and not knowing the culture. And the Haitian culture is very much the man is in charge of the house. The wife is submissive. The children better listen. Spanking is definitely a thing. And I didn't know that it was there was any other way. I didn't know there was it was normal to be in a household where you didn't get spanked, where you didn't get abused. I didn't know. I didn't even know that word abused was a thing that people use for children that got spanked really hard. And so that led me on a huge journey. And that was like, it brought me to a place where I wasn't loving myself. I didn't feel worthy. I didn't feel enough. I just shrank myself to fit into what would make my father happy, what would make society happy, what would make my friends happy. And for the longest time, I just was living this life from like the public. It looked so great. Like it did. It looked just perfect. But in the inside, I was slowly dying. I was literally slowly like dying. And there came a point in my life where I just didn't even want to live. I was like, well, if this is it, then what's the point? And I was ready to give it all up. I was ready to say bye to this world. But the creator who I call God knows that there was purpose bigger for me. And he knows that the reason why he placed me in a little town of Idaho was to be this person that I am today. And so my godmother actually found my journal with my plan to basically end my life. And it was very detailed, which is like, even thinking about it now today, I'm just like, wow, I must've been so low. I must've been so done to really get to that point where I was just no longer wanting to be on this earth. And she put me in a psychic world where they analyzed me and they were like, you did the right thing. And they helped nurse me back to health. And that took me on a train of counseling, getting help. And that was the journey that started transforming me because from that, I started looking at self-help as a whole different thing. I was like, I have the power to change this. I have the power to talk about my pain and talking through my pain helps heals me. And so At first, it was really hard to talk about my pain because, of course, it was very painful. So when I would talk about it, I would break down, I would cry. And then I realized other people, too, would feel that heaviness and that emotion. And so then I slowly stopped talking about my pain, stopped talking about the story because I didn't think anybody could handle it because they just they just felt it so deeply and they wanted to save me. They wanted to help me. They they wanted to be something to me that they couldn't be at the time, the people that I were telling. And so I stopped telling my story and I started again. I went right back to what was working, putting on that bright face and putting out to the world, the pretty version of Josie who travels the world, who has the love and who has the life, like the perfect on paper, has the career, has the job. I mean, literally my life is amazing, but there was so much that I didn't show. And it wasn't until two, three years ago, actually three years ago that I started on the journey again. I'm like, there's more here. There's more here. 
to rewrite the story and to tell it from a place of healing this time is what I learned. If I tell the story with from a place of healing, from a place of wholeness, from not a place of woe is me, not a victim, but my journey as to get to be who I am today, it helps people understand it and digest it a whole lot better than the way I was telling it in the past, which was I was the victim and it wasn't my fault. I took no responsibility for what my part of any of it. I just was like, somebody hurt me. I am the victim. They did this wrong. They did me wrong. And I had to completely turn that around for myself. All right. Well, thank you. I feel like that's the if that is the the entire trailer of the movie, I feel like there is so much more in every, you know, five seconds. So let me drill a little bit deeper on a few of the points you hit, because that thank you for sharing so vulnerably. As you know, I think we both agree that when people can be that honest and open, it helps other people see themselves and and, and maybe spark their own healing journey. Let's go back to the start, your immigration journey. I'm just curious. Was that something that your family had talked about and dreamed about? Or was that something that came quickly or suddenly or was forced? That is my favorite part of the story that I, how funny that you leave that part out. So my mom and dad, they are manifesting magic makers. They, before they even met each other, they both had said as a child, my mom, her story is when she was at the river washing clothes, she basically looked up at the sky and opened her arms and said that one day I'm going to have a house with everything in it. It's going to have running water. It's going to have a washing machine. Like it's going to have everything I need inside this house. And then she kept doing her laundry. My dad, he said to all his friends, all his family, I'm taking my family to America. I'm going to take my family to America. I'm going to have the wife. I'm going to have the kids. I'm taking them all to America. And they laughed at him. Even my mother says she remembers laughing at him saying like, no, this is not going to happen. And then fast forward, they have four kids. My father figures out an opportunity to get us to move to the United States. And just like, I think a year ago, my mom and I were in her backyard and she said to me, I literally just said this. I literally said one day I'm going to have everything I need. And here we are. And when she said that to me, I was just completely just like shivers and chills and just like, wow, that's so amazing. And my dad, he always says, I had a dream that I was going to bring my family here for a better life. And not only am I going to bring my family here for a better life, I'm going to take care of my family who's back home. So they had a dream and amazing that they were able to put that out there and really step into it and make it happen. But it sounds to me like those first few years weren't as dreamy for you. So you're just to kind of bring us up to speed. So yeah. you, you spoke no English. You were one of the only black girls in your community and in your school. And that goes against that sense of belonging right away. In my mind, that just feels like another barrier. So it sounded to me like you're kind of putting on this smile, but it was more of a mask than mm-hmm. an authentic 100%. smile. 100%. It was what got me through though. So it was It was a mask, but it also was healing for me. It was a mask, but it also was what got me through. Like finding the joy with my friends, putting on that smile. Your inside world sometimes needs you to like love up on you in a gentle way. So my smile was like, when I'm looking back at it, was me loving myself the best I could. Was me 
looking for that belonging and it served me so well that smile but it was it was a mess because inside I was not feeling the way I looked on the outside all the time but what that smile got me is friends that were willing to hold me that were willing to support me that were willing to love me they didn't know all of me but they loved what they saw and that was something that I needed so badly so what you said you were one of four children what what where are you in the lineup and what role did you play Yeah, so I'm the oldest, and now there's five. So we moved to the States with four, and my mom and dad has my brother here in the States. And so I'm the oldest, which meant that I was the responsible one to learn English. I was the responsible one to help my parents translate. I took care of my siblings at such a young age. And that led me, that was another hurdle because I was like, well, I'm just not even going to be a mom. I've already been a mom. Like I had that sentence in my mind ever since I could remember, I've already been a mom. I've already done this. Like, I don't need to do this again. Like you were called upon for a lot of cooking and changing diapers and caregiving and that sort of thing. Okay. Were your parents working, I assume? Yeah. So my parents were working, but one thing they always did, there was always food in the fridge. There was always food when we came home from school, but I was definitely making sure the kids were staying alive. That's the way I put it for myself now is I, because I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So then. I know from discussions that eventually you end up in a foster home type setting. Yes. Tell me about your your experience between that and kind of like moving out of that. I know that you were kind of eager just to kind of get your childhood behind you and oh, kind yes. of just keep growing up. So, Oh, yes. Yep. I just kept, I had this vision. I had this dream that if I could just become my own person, if I could be in charge of my life, that I would do it so much better. And so I just wanted to be, like you said, an adult. I was like, I don't need this. I don't need to be a child. And so when I went into foster care, which was awful, honestly, for being truthful, which I am 100%, foster care was awful. I mean, I'm the oldest of five. I was taken away from my siblings and put in a foster care. And what they said, they were looking out for me, but it didn't really feel like that at the time. At the time, I felt punished, like for telling the truth. I felt like my truthfulness got me taken away from my family. Mm. And so that in itself was not fun. And that was seventh grade. And that summer of sixth grade going into seventh grade that that happened. And so when I was in foster care, I just was running away. I didn't want to be there. I, yeah, I was running away. And so then they put me in another foster care. And then my godmother and godfather came to the rescue for me again. And that's when they got guardianship of me. And she is literally my saving light. She just knew that she had to protect me. And I am so very thankful for her because yeah, then I went and lived with her, Mike and Carolyn, and they were a godsend for me because it brought my family still together. So they made it a point to keep me with my siblings, to see my mother. And that, if I didn't have that, the connection we have today would not be the same. So I know that, you know, with that history, you've recognized a lot of things that when you were a child, you didn't recognize in your parents that maybe felt wrong. I think when you're talking about fun and play, and I know we're going to get to that Mm -hmm. because that's really important, like I said, for me too. Part of what I think about is creating space for that though. And I think forgiveness is something that can take up a lot of 
space or, or create a lot of space. So how did you, what, what lesson did you have to learn or what did you go through in order to have a sense of forgiveness to your parents? Cause I know I read that your, your dad walked you down the aisle. I know that you have an amazing relationship and they're a big part of your child's life today. So tell us about how you got over the forgiveness hurdle and how it felt. That took a long time because like I said earlier in the story is I did feel like a victim. I did feel like something happened to me and it was their fault, not my fault, took no responsibility. So I went on this journey in 2017 going into 2018 where I went to Southeast Asia and went through Germany as well. And I went solo. I did not intend to go solo. I had every intention of my fiance at the time to come with me, but he had no, he wanted no part of this. (laughs) And so I ended up going to Southeast Asia solo and that journey unlocked something in me. It helped me be the main character in my story. It helped me know that I have so much more control than I think I do. It helped me like completely learn to surrender which was the biggest lesson in forgiveness, surrendering to the knowing that even though all that happened to me, I was never forgotten. It was never like happening to me. It was, it was a situation that I had to go through in order to get to where I was. And that was the realization that came through going through um, Southeast Asia is that I get to decide what I make the story means. And what I make the story mean is that my dad had the same situation with his family. My mom had the same situation with her family. My grandparents, the same. So it's a generational thing. It didn't just happen to me. It's happened down the line. And it is up to me to change it. It is up to me to make that decision that it's not going to, it's not going to be anymore. Like beginning with me, I'm going to choose forgiveness first for myself. I'm going to choose forgiveness for my family because I want us to be together. That has never not been a thing. I wanted my family, even when I was taken away, I wanted my family to be together. And so that forgiveness first came to forgiving myself for all the ways that I did hurt myself because I was hurt all the ways that I hurt other people because I was hurt. And by forgiving myself and giving myself so much grace and compassion and learning to love myself, I was able to start to learn to love my dad and my mom in a deeper way. And the day that I told him, like, you can walk me down the aisle, he was literally so emotional because he did not think that was going to happen for him. I didn't think it was going to happen for him. And so when I was in Southeast Asia planning my wedding, which I recommend it, if you're planning a wedding, just take a vacation, post it on a beach (laughs) and plan your wedding. Um, I was able to really, really think about what is the life that I want for my future and what is the life I want for my future children? What is the life that I'm trying to create and how can I do that right now today? Thank you for sharing that part of your story, because sometimes I, I think that when we're rubbing up against like a hard time in our life, it it, it forces us to take stock. And it mm-hmm. seems like you had this just kind of explosive pivot, right? Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the perfect bridge into what you do today, because one of the things you say is that play and mental health are intrinsically matched. Mm -hmm. So now that we have your backstory and we know your journey, help us understand that, you know, how play and mental health go hand in hand. 
Yeah. A long time ago, I read something that said play is the secret sauce. I don't know where I read that, but I was really young when I read that. And I was, for some reason, it stuck with me. It landed in my heart in a way that really helped me heal. Because for me, travel is play. So going on vacation is play for me. Going camping, going to the beach, dancing, fun is all play for me. And in playing, I'm in a different headspace. I am completely in a surrendered place. Life is just moving and I'm in it. And so that is what I've learned. That's why mental health and play go hand in hand is because you have to get out of your head. You just have to. I call it mind drama. If you're up there, it can go on and on and on forever with yourself going back and forth. But the moment you get out of your head and into your body, you are able to be centered, be present, be connected to the here and now. And that's what I think play does for us. And that's what I think, yeah, play is the secret sauce and mental health go hand in hand because you have to be able to get out of your head to move the emotions, to move the pain, to move the wound, to move the trauma because your head will tell you all sorts of lies. It doesn't mean to, but it surely does. Yes, I love how you put this because I also feel, I know that we're both practitioners of, things like meditation and mindfulness and yoga. But sometimes when, when I'm in those moments of just like play, it's effortless. You're just there. You're so dropped into the present, right? I love that word effortless. Yes. (laughs) So what advice would you have for women who say play just doesn't come naturally for them anymore? Or I don't remember. I forgot how to play. Mm -hmm. It starts by getting out of your head and remembering because, you know, nobody knows the answer but you. And so if you were to get out of your head and you were to feel your feet on the ground, you were able to breathe into your center, which is right below your belly button. And you were to ask yourself, what is it that brings me joy? What do I like to do? What makes me feel lit up? What makes me feel excited? Your body's going to tell you right away. It doesn't take long. If you just get out of your head, your body will start to tell you that answer. And for me right now, it's saying dance, like turn on some music, dance, Josie, (laughs) have a party. And that to me is play. And so to everybody, it's going to look different. It's going to be completely different. That's why you have to not ask somebody else for that answer. You have to go within. Yeah. Another thing that came to mind as you were talking to is not being afraid of what that answer is. I'm curious because I think a lot of, a lot of the time we protect ourselves from discomfort by not trying something new and we, you know, don't want to feel embarrassed or uncomfortable. So we don't like do these playful things. Have you experienced that in your coaching capacity? Oh, yes. Yes. I have experienced (laughs) that in my coaching capacity, but the moment we get out of the head and into the body, It's like playing that feeling of embarrassment, that feeling of I'm not going to be good at it drops away and they are in the moment with me, with themselves, and they're reliving the times they were doing that and the time it did bring them joy and how they can do it today. They don't have to wait until when, because that's the biggest thing. Everybody thinks that we're going to have all this amount of time to get to what we're trying to get to, but we do not. All we have is right now. All we have is today. And so if we're not stepping up and stepping into the life that we want now, we may never do it. And that is heartbreaking. Absolutely. And I feel like it's so easy when you're 
working and you have kids and you're running errands, it doesn't make life feel that fun, but you almost have to just commit. I feel like part of having a fun life is being fun, making yourself more fun, right? (laughs) Change the sentence. I am a fun person. I am Josie. I'm a person who has a lot of fun. I'm Josie and I love life and I'm going to live my life to the fullest. So you have to give yourself that like title. You have to give yourself that sentence that is like, that is who I am. I am a fun person. If I'm at the grocery store, I'm a fun person. If I am dancing in my car, people are just staring at me. I'm a fun person. So you have to like shift your identity completely. You have to become the person who has the fun. And that's why embodiment is so important to me and why I love it so much is because it's all about becoming that version of yourself right now, not waiting until when, not saying later, I'll do this when I become this. No, how can I become it now? How can I bring a little piece of it now? How can I take a baby step into it now? And then write that new story for yourself in the moment that you're in. Yeah, this is so like so on par with what I love to talk about so much. Cause I think that even with trips, I am always like, how about you just design a life? Like I love travel. I'm like you, it's just exciting. It's fun. It's playful. But how about you just design your life? So you don't need to take a vacation from it. Or when you come back, it's not just like, ho hum, you know, Debbie Downer life, but it takes intention. It takes practice. And so what are some practical ways that you could give us that you might maybe you share with your clients for just kind of having little pockets of more fun or just letting fun bleed into what maybe we wouldn't necessarily think is normally as like a fun time in our lives. Yes. I love how you were talking about make a life that makes you not have to run away. And for me, my motto right now is bring Indonesia here because that was my favorite. One of my favorite parts of my trip is how can I bring Indonesia to me now? How can I feel that feeling of joy and ease, serenity and peace? And Indonesia is so spiritual. Like, how can I bring that to me now in my everyday? So find a vacation spot that you loved. You had the best time of your life. It was your favorite. You remember it like it was yesterday. What is that feeling that it brought to you? And how can you live it now? How can you add it to your life now? In just a baby way, just a small way. Can you bring that feeling into your day-to-day life? And it's bringing that to you right now in this moment. So you don't have to run off to Indonesia because I mean, (laughs) for three years we couldn't travel. And so I couldn't just run away to Indonesia. So how can I bring that joy I felt now here? And so for you, it's going to be a different answer than it is going to be for me. But how you can start to do joy, I say joyful anticipation is something I feel really called to talk on is because we only do things because we feel like it. We're not going to do it if we don't feel like it. We're not going to do it if somebody forces us to do it. We're going to be really stuck in our way of saying no. This is when we say no and don't feel bad about it. It's when people force us to do something. And so that joyful anticipation is what gets you to do the thing that you love. And so if you are in the morning, let's say a morning routine, you're waking up in the morning and you are dreading the day. It's going to be a long day. I'm going to have to go to work. But what is one thing that you can set up for yourself in the morning that you're going to look forward to? It's going to be your one thing in the morning that lights you up, that your body's going to pull you to, even if your mind says no, because it knows how good it feels. And for me in the morning, that is either dancing or doing meditation or journaling, doing a gratitude practice. Like I have different ones I do different days, but they feel so good when I'm doing them that 
when I wake up in the morning, even if my body's like, you are so tired, stay in bed. My mind is saying that, but my body's like, oh, but this is so fun. We're going to go dance with our son. We're going to go turn on some music. And it is, it's a joy because he's laughing, I'm laughing. And so it's a joyful anticipation. And so throughout your day, how can you set up your day to have these moments of joyful anticipation? For you, it could be going to the gym. It could be going for a walk in nature. It looks different for everyone, but give yourself that joyful anticipation. Plan it in advance that before you go to bed, like tomorrow, this is what I'm doing. And your body is just like waking up to go to that first day of school when you were a kid. <laughs> your body's like, yes, let's do this. Because when we do this, this is the feeling that we're going to feel. So I love again, that. it to you now. <laughs> yes, because I, I've actually been trying to practice that a little bit. Cause I think at night, sometimes it's easy for women, especially, you know, to, ruminate on things they didn't get done or whatever. And and I've been trying to just think before bed. I love the turn of phrase, joyful anticipation, because I've been trying to have one of my last thoughts before I go to bed be like, what's something I'm looking forward to mm-hmm. about tomorrow? Yes. So that hopefully when question. I wake up, I can anchor back to that, even yes. if it's a whole day and there might be things, you know, we all have things that we, yes, absolutely. Know. But your subconscious mind is doing powerful, magical work at night. And so if you can if you could go to bed with the last thing you're thinking, be something positive, something joyful, something enlightening, your subconscious mind is doing magic back there. So if you can do that for yourself, like you're doing, that is so powerful. So it, what do you do if you are having a day and maybe you've had some joyful anticipation, but like nothing seems to be landing and you feel yourself kind of getting into a Debbie Downer mode and you're like, uh-uh. Josie has fun. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah. And that happens. There are moments where I am feeling low. I don't feel good. I don't want to do the things that I said I wanted to do, but we got to do them. We're moms. I'm mom. (laughs) So we got to do things. We have work. And so for me, when I feel that way, I have different things that bring me up. I like moving. I like going outside, putting my feet in the grass. I like just getting a moment of stillness with my son because he's pure joy. He's in the moment and he brings me right in. And so getting that support from somebody who is, I mean, you have to have somebody whose energy kind of lifts you up a little bit sometimes. Sometimes you can't do it on your own. And so for me, that could be a song. That could be my son. That could be my husband. Sometimes I need somebody else who's feeling good to be like, come join me in this energy of love. And so getting that support too, I think is powerful to get that support when you're feeling down, but also to give yourself that grace because we're human. That's going to happen. We're going to feel low, but we're going to have to do some things. So how can you bring yourself a little bit? You don't have to go from like zero to a hundred, but just a little bit feeling better. Who can do that for you? Who can support you? How can you get that support? And yeah, have your things that when you're feeling low, that does it for you. Mm -hmm. That's a great reminder because sometimes we all get in slumps. Like you said, Mm -hmm. it's human, you know, neither one of us are trying to have like positive vibes only, you know, we get it. But that's a really good reminder that if you're feeling kind of dumpy, what's something that you could do just to move the needle a tiny Mm -hmm. bit? Because I feel like once you do that, it's easier to just move it a little bit more and not expecting yourself to be like, joyous mom out on the bike. Yes. Yes. It's just that little, what's going to get me pushed forward. That was going to get me to keep moving. What's going to get me to not just get under the table and (laughs) the day's done. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're coming up against time. I know, but I just, one other thing that you talk about a lot is this idea of playing small. And that I think there's a link between women 
playing small and not experiencing this level of joy that I know you, you hope your clients all invite mm-hmm. in. So tell me about, first of all, let's just make sure everyone knows what I'm talking about. So how would you explain playing small? Dimming your light, completely dimming your light, making sure that everybody is, is doing fine at your expense saying things that you don't want to say, not setting those healthy boundaries, saying yes when you all you want to do is say no, just not showing up for yourself. That to me is playing small. When you just don't show up for yourself and you don't put yourself first, you put yourself last or even, uh, yeah, most women we do, we put everybody ahead of us. And so that to me is playing small. And we're programmed to do that. We're caretakers, we're caregivers, we're lovers, we're creators of life, we birth life. And so we're taught to put everything in ahead of us. But every once in a while, you hear that phrase, like, fill your cup first, put on your own oxygen mask. And you think to yourself, that sounds lovely. But really, what does that look like? Yeah. What does that look like to put your oxygen mask on first? And for all of us, that's going to be a different story. That's going to be a different thing. But What I've found on my journey is when I say yes to me, everybody else finds their yes. When I say no to me, we're all struggling because I'm not 100% in. That person probably can feel it. It is just not a flow. It's not good. Like you're doing it out of obligation and you don't feel good. And I know the other person, they may seem to feel good, but they know. Mm Mm-hmm. So when you say yes to you, you open somebody up for a yes to them. And I think that's the biggest thing. And the story that's on my heart to share really quick, I know we're on time is recently, like this is the newest thing that's happened is I've been watching my little niece whom I love and for my brother, and I have been driving to pick her up, driving to drop her off in between all my work in between my son as well, which has been a lot. It's been a few weeks of this. And I, the other day decided, you know what? I'm not going to be able to do this. Like I'm launching a, I'm launching a course. I have things I have to do that are more important to me on my list right now. And so I said to him, I'm not going to be able to pick her up. And he of course went to the first thing he said is what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, I'm so sorry. Like I would love to watch her, but I cannot pick her up. Guess what he did? He found a ride every single day this week. There's She's been here. We've had the best time. And now not only did he find that ride, but now he's getting a new shift at work so that he can spend more time with his daughter. Like, what if I didn't decide to say yes to me and I still would have continued to do that? Not only would I have been (laughs) feeling depleted, but he would not be getting the time that he needs with his daughter. And so I think that story to me is so brilliant. And it's brilliant to me. It's a revelation to me. It's a reminder for me. My yes matters and your yes matters. That is such a beautiful offering. I'm so glad you shared that because that is a, a maybe something that feels small, but really it's huge because women day after day have these yeses that aren't yeses. And I think it's not only your time and your energy and your truth, but it can also create this sense of begrudging. Nobody wants that energy either, right? Yes, 100%. Nobody wants that energy. It's a ripple effect that happens. It lines everybody up to be where they want to be. We are not the creators of the world. (laughs) We didn't create the world. There's a power that is greater than us that is making things move, that is making things happen, that is making this world go round. And so we have to sometimes just get out of the way. 
Well, and how, what a powerful example of you just listening and being like, I need to set this boundary. This isn't a full hearted yes. And then the ripple effect was completely positive on the other end. Sometimes we just have to have that trust, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm talking about. We have to like think that we are not the ones creating it all. Like there is something greater than us that catches us all. We all get caught. We all get supported. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's so true. Yes. All right. Well, I know we've covered a lot. I just, since we, you know, spent a lot of time on your background and now we we've talked about your mission to invite women into their highest self and embrace this awesome sense of play that you totally exude. Is there anything that I didn't have a chance to ask you about that you, you wanted to share? Yeah. So I am launching my first beta program, which is shadow the box to bloom, which is my journey, the bloom journey, which the bloom, the B stands for believe in yourself. The L is to love yourself. The O is to observe yourself and observe your thoughts and observe your surroundings and who you are, what you are, who you want to be. And then opening yourself up to receive all the things that you are wanting without that self-sabotage and then magnetize it to you, like bring it to you now today. And so that is my bloom journey. And that is my first big offering that I am putting out into the world for the women that are ready to do this work that requires you to be so radically compassionate with yourself and really know yourself and become that person today, right now. And how can you do it little by little baby steps at a time? And that is what the Bloom Journey, Shatter the Box to Bloom program, the course that goes live for my people on September 12th. I'm calling them my soul family. I'm calling you my soul family. So <laughs> if you resonate, that that is what I'm calling in, is my soul family who are ready to bloom and shatter that box, that self-imposed box that no longer fits. Congratulations. We'll make sure to capture the details in the show notes. And I'm sure people will be eager to learn more. I always end my program by asking the same question. And it's, what's one thing women should be asking themselves more? How do I feel right now? And receive yourself there. Receive it, whatever it is, with no judgment. Knowing that all our emotions are here to tell us something, here to teach us something. They're not meant to be barriers. They're not meant to harm us and block us like they do. They're meant for us to be like, there's a red flag. Like, I am feeling really frustrated. I am feeling really upset right now. And then saying to me yourself, that's okay. That's okay. It's okay for me to feel this right now. And going through, why is it that I feel this way? And giving yourself that that walk to get there, to figure out why am I feeling frustrated and how can I bring myself back to center and release that frustration to move to a more positive place. But it all starts with that one question is how am I feeling today right now and receiving yourself 100%, whatever comes up for you, like receive it, love it, hold yourself (laughs) and be like, yes, that's okay. That's okay. You get to feel this way. I think it's the most brilliant thing since it's the biggest thing that's taught me to be able to receive more is by receiving myself and knowing how I feel gets me to that place where I can start to feel better. So that would be my answer to that question. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know people will be wanting to follow you for more of this and all your awesome offerings. So tell us where we can find you. Yeah, Instagram is where I'm having the most fun right now and posting reels and dancing. <laughs> so come and hang out. It's at Josie Wheaton is my personal page and then at Backroads Coaching is my business page. Wonderful. 
All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show and best of luck with your new offering. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you joined me today. If you're looking for more, feel free to connect with me on Instagram at at WhitneyWoman. And if you enjoyed the show, I invite you to support me by leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Hope you have an inspired day.